This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Thursday, the 8th of July, 2021. And yesterday and in the previous few days, Norman, we were asking the question... Is two weeks going to be enough for Sydney to get on top of its outbreak? We heard the answer to it yesterday. No, it was not. Sydney has extended its lockdown for another week. Why? Well, why is the numbers are not coming down? And more importantly, in terms of what we've been speaking about over the last few days on Chronicast, particularly yesterday, it's um, the numbers who are out in the community spreading are not coming down. So there's a significant, a significant proportion already in isolation, which is great, maybe about 50%. But the rest uh, are out and about. And that's not good enough. And the other problem we've got that looks as if it's emerging in Greater Sydney is a similar problem to the one they had in Victoria during the second wave, is that it is moving into local government areas which are poorer, with poorer housing, where you're more likely to have multi-generational families living close together. And because they're poorer and more disadvantaged, they need to work and they need to be out and about and mobile. And that was a real problem for Victoria. And the communication with those communities, which are often communities where English is not their first language, was deficient in Victoria. New South Wales has been touting its local public health units and how good they are at communicating with those communities. Well, this will be a real challenge. And have we got the elders of those communities, the respected people in those communities, communicating with them in terms of the lockdown and also also immunisation? Job security is also a massive issue. A lot of people um, in lower socioeconomic areas have less stable jobs. So that's not the only number that we're looking at, though, is it? Because in addition to the number of people who have caught the virus, we're also looking at the number of people who are quite sick with it. And it felt, at least at first glance, that there's... uh, We heard yesterday of the numbers of people in hospitals, intensive care units and on uh, ventilators. We talked about this a little bit yesterday. 37 of the 350 active cases are in hospital Is that high? So I pulled out some of the numbers for Victoria in mid-August of last year, which is when it peaked. So in Victoria, just to get a comparison here, because one of the questions about the Delta variant is, is it more virulent? So we know it's more contagious, in other words, more likely to spread, but is it more likely to cause disease and serious disease? And you can't really go by international data because, for example, if you take the British data, and indeed the Israeli data, it does look as though if you've got the Delta variant, you're more likely to get into hospital if you're unimmunised. But there's so many people vaccinated that you just, the, the data aren't terribly clear. So let's, let's just do a comparison with Victoria last year. So at the peak of, their pan, of the epidemic in mid-August, they had 7,000 people active cases of COVID. Of those, about 9% were in hospital, 675. And of those people in hospital, about 47 were in ICU. As a percentage, that's 0.6%. So just hold those numbers in your head, 9% and 0.6%. Imagine that meme of the lady with all the maths going in front of her face. That's me right now. Yeah, okay. You got it? All these numbers going around. Now, yesterday, in terms of the reports from New South Wales, this is New South Wales yesterday, 350 active cases, 37 in hospital. So a little bit over... 10%, so not much difference within the margin of error. These are small numbers, so you get big errors in small numbers, and it could mean not very much, but seven of the 350 are in ICU. So that's about 2% in ICU compared to 0.6% last year in Victoria, again on small numbers. Here's the other statistic, but I don't have an equivalent one for last year in Victoria. Eight of those in hospital are under 35, and one is in ICU. 
In Israel, half of the cases with Delta are in children. That's partly because everybody else is immunised. But this is affecting people in their younger years and it shows it is not a harmless condition when you're young. Yeah, just because it's more likely to be uh, bad news in older people doesn't mean it's never bad news in younger people. But Norman, you said before about overseas cases, it's, it's hard to compare with Australia because they're vaccinated overseas. There's still a lot of people in Australia who are vaccinated, especially older people. Uh, we know that this virus has gotten into the aged care sector in Sydney and we're still seeing around the same proportion of hospitalisations as last year. So does that point to it maybe being... Like it would have been worse if those people hadn't been vaccinated? So the key data here are are the age groups and the state of vaccination of the people in hospital. And we haven't seen those data yet. At least I haven't seen those data yet. And hopefully those will come out. I mean, I think the initial news from the aged care centre was good. But are any of those people in hospital from the residential aged care facility in Sydney? and the extent to which they were vaccinated. Most people were vaccinated in that community. So we just don't know that statistic yet, but it's a very important question. And I just want to make the same point that I made yesterday. One in 50 people are in ICU. We are getting panicked about a side effect with the Astra vaccine that's one in 50,000. So that's not one in 50,000 people dying, that's one in 50,000 people with the clotting disorder of all levels of severity and about one in a million people running the risk of dying of the, of the Astra vaccine. And we are already seeing one in 50 in ICU. We're seeing 330 people with uh, COVID-19, and at least 30% of them are going to have long COVID. So this just puts it all in perspective in terms of our fears and the risks versus benefits. Yeah, it really puts it into sharp relief. So Norman, of course, as always, we've got lots of questions from our audience. One from David asking, why aren't you having your second AstraZeneca shot now that it's eight weeks after your very public first shot? Someone's keeping tabs on you, Norman. They are. And thanks for the reminder, because I was actually wondering the other day what date I actually had the first Astra. So I'm serious. I am, you know, I'm, this is not a recommendation for anybody else. And don't do as I say, because you've got to do what your doctor says and what the recommendation is. The current recommendation is still 12 weeks. And the authorities are saying, are really holding back on saying we should shorten the interval to eight weeks. I've had a look at the data for myself and I do think I'm going to get it a bit sooner. I just want to get protected with two doses and I'll have a Pfizer booster whenever I can later in the year. So that's what I'm going to do. But don't do what I do. Do what your doctor says that you should do. You mentioned vaccine hesitancy before, Norman, and Phil's asking about that. He wants to know whether the vaccine rollout has partially stalled because of hesitancy. Phil's 40. He's had both doses of Pfizer, but with all the misinformation around, so many people that Phil knows are taking a wait-and-see approach. Well, I just don't think you can afford to take a wait-and-see approach. Uh, Look, I believe there's not that much hesitancy around truly. Um, I I did an interview for tonight's 7.30. The estimate from uh, the expert in Britain that we spoke to, Christina Pago, who's a modeler, she she thinks that it's around about 90% coverage we need for herd immunity, and that means immunising children. But the fact of the matter is here... If we had, we've got greater demand for vaccine than we've got supply. So as soon as Pfizer comes in, there's going to be queues around the corner. It's a question of what point do we peak and we'll need incentives and all those sorts of things. I think once Pfizer's there, the vast majority of Australians, and I mean the vast majority of Australians, will get immunised. It's just that we just need to get those shots in their arm in a timely way. I just think that the mood around the place is is just hesitant in general. But once the whole debate about Astra is out of the way, rightly or wrongly, 
and focuses on Pfizer, people will come forward. There's also hesitancy because of the myocarditis story, and tonight on 7.30, I've covered that with a cardiologist who's advising ATAGI, our technical advisory group on immunisation. And it's quite clear from him, and Christina Pagel also says the same thing. If you're looking at the cardiac complications of COVID-19, they're much more profound, they're longer lasting and disabling than the vaccine complications with Pfizer, which again is at about 150,000 doses. Younger men, they're all getting better from it. People with cardiac complications from COVID-19 are taking a long, long time to get better from it. So the equation is absolutely clear for younger people. Get immunised with Pfizer. You do not want to get COVID-19. I think at the moment it feels like in most parts of Australia, the chances of actually catching COVID seem very low, but that won't always be the case. Getting vaccinated now. Well, look how quick, yeah, look how quickly it's got to 330 cases in New South Wales from one driver. This can happen anywhere. There's another question for you, Tegan. We hear a lot, it comes from Ian, we hear a lot about the Delta variant, now Kappa and Lambda, which we talked about yesterday. Were there variants in between that got named? Yes, there were. So a quick correction on yesterday, actually. I think I said that the person with Lambda was in hotel quarantine at the moment. They're not. That was back in April. And uh, it was first discovered in Peru, not Brazil. But yes, there have been... So we were close. <laughs> we were close. Yeah. I had the right continent, okay? So yeah, we there's, there's variants of concern, which we've heard a lot about, but there's also variants of interest. So even though they might not be concerning, they're, uh, they're prevalent enough and interesting enough that they've been given a name. So the four variants of concern listed by the World Health Organization are Alpha, which was documented first in the UK, Beta from South Africa, Gamma in Brazil, which is the P1 variant that we talked about in Brazil some months ago. And of course, Delta, which is what we're looking at in detail now. But the variants of interest, we know about Kappa, we know about Lambda, and there's also been Eta, which has been detected in multiple countries, and Iota, which was detected in the US uh, in, a, in around March this year. So there you go. Well, that's all we've got time for today's Coronacast. I'm taking away Tegan's thunder because she was the last person to talk. <laughs> but if you want to ask a question... Go to abc.net.au slash coronacast, click on Ask a Question and mention Coronacast on the way through. And we will see you tomorrow for Quick Fire Friday. Yes, we will. See you then.